Hello, and welcome to the So She Travels podcast. I'm your host, Vicky, from the travel blog, VickiFlipFlopTravels.com. I'm here to chat with today's most vibrant female travellers about the why, where, and how of their travels. We're here to inspire you to see our world, to discuss the issues us women face travelling, and to talk about a few of the more interesting ways you can do it. Each week we'll pick a destination, a topic or two, and discuss. Don't forget to press subscribe, and if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating and a review. Today's guest is the most intrepid hiker I know, and I know a lot of people who like to hike. Cathy has an entire blog dedicated to travelling Scotland, and mainly enjoying the great outdoors there. She's hiked and camped solo around the world, so I wanted to get her top tips to get me up and out, even if it's just to the nearby South Downs. Cathy and I met in Israel a few years ago, and her adventurous spirit and passion for all women to explore the outdoors totally inspires me. She's even running a retreat for women who'd like to get into hiking, but you'll hear more about it in the podcast. Hello, Cathy. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, hello. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's been a busy week for you, right? What What are you up to? Oh, I'm up to quite a lot this weekend. Uh, sorry, this week. Um, I run a feminist film festival, which is premiering in two weeks, which takes up a lot of my time. I'm finishing up a PhD, which I want to submit in April. And then I'm obviously also working on my travel blog. I have a conference coming up tomorrow. So yeah, there's not really a lot of time to sleep and relax. <laughs> that sounds very busy. So um, if you could just introduce yourself for anyone that doesn't know you. Yeah, sure. So my name is Cathy Kamleitner. I'm originally from Austria, but I've been in Scotland for five and a half years. I live in Glasgow and I moved here to do my master's and then fell in love with the country, started a travel blog about it and decided to stay and write more about my travels here. What is it about Scotland that you love so much? Um, it's a mix really, it's the people on the one hand, um, particularly in Glasgow, people are so friendly and open and they're interested in you and they're very appreciative of, of you being interested in them and their city. Right, okay. But then it's also just the countryside, um, having the mountains so close, being able to be out in the wilderness over the weekend and in the city back on Monday morning to work. Um, just the sheer beauty of the highlands, the mountains, the islands, the beaches and all that together. It's just this magical place like you'd imagine it in a picture book. So how is that different to Austria? Because if I think of Austria, I've only ever been to Vienna, but there's obviously Vienna, the city. And then I just imagine it's a lot of mountains. So how mm. is that different from Scotland? I think one of the biggest differences is probably the density in which it's populated. I mean, the Austrian mountains are gorgeous, don't get me wrong. And I'm from Vienna, so I've never really lived too close to the mountains. Right. But I've spent a lot of my holidays as a child in the mountains. And they're beautiful, yes. But they aren't as wild, in my experience anyways. They aren't as remote as the Highlands feel. Right, there's, okay. There's, there's just a different feeling of being really out in nature. And there's no villages around and there's no marked trails and there's, yeah, there's just raw beauty and raw rock in the, in the so hills. It's, the, it's more of the remoteness that attracts Yeah, you. absolutely. I think so. And also, I mean, Vienna, I would always compare Vienna a bit to Edinburgh. Right. Because it's it's just this stunning outdoor museum almost. Um, 
with a lot of beautiful architecture and interesting history and everything, but it's also full of tourists. And I've just had enough of that in my life, I think, growing up in Vienna as a kid. Um, so it's that difference as well. The city just feels a bit less overrun. Right, okay, <laughs> so it's more, more of like a community and people that actually live there rather than tourists that are just popping in. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> what Glasgow feels to me like anyways. So I have been... I've been to Scotland and I've been to Dumfries, Edinburgh and the Isle of Skye and that is it. So where <laughs> else should I go? Um, oh, there's so many places I could send you. I have a favourite region in the east and a favourite region in the west. Right. Um, in the east, I will. I want to send everybody to Aberdeenshire, which is the northeast. Um, there's a beautiful coastal trail with beaches and lighthouses and really stunning coastal scenery. But then right. when you go inland, the you find the Scottish Castle Trail um, with gorgeous ruins, but also these kind of pink fairy tale castles in the middle of the forests. Oh wow, and, that's amazing! And you get and you come the further you go east, you come to the Cairngorms National Park, which is a mountain area where you can do hiking and bothying and wild camping and all these more out, outdoors and adventure things. So and that's what, one region in the in? northeast. Sorry, what's bothying? Oh, bothying. Um, bothies are kind of mountain shelters. So they're little huts, but they're not really much more than just a roof over your head. They're free to stay in, but you don't, you know, it's not like there's bedrooms or anything. There might be a platform where you can roll out your sleeping bag and your sleeping mat. Um, and it's really just to have emergency shelter in the highlands. But they're great and kind of like... Um, bare bones way of seeing the highlands without having to carry your tent oh okay wow <laughs> didn't They're even know that cool. <laughs> that sounds cool um I thought you were going to say Glasgow is the top place to go because I feel like a lot of people immediately go to Edinburgh and that's so well known especially with all the Harry Potter tourism around it but um I feel like people go to Glasgow less and yeah I've been to Edinburgh I think five times and I've still not been to Glasgow I I do think that there's definitely more people going to Edinburgh, but it's changing. I do think Glasgow is coming more and more onto the radar of people, especially when it's about city trips, because it just has a more urban and bigger and more kind of like city feel to it than Edinburgh. Edinburgh feels a lot smaller and it is a lot smaller as well than Glasgow. Um, but I think when people think about coming to Scotland, and I think that's fair enough, they want to see the highlands, they want to see the mountains and the scenery. And then a lot of people just leave the cities behind us as soon as they can. And that's fair enough, I think, as well, because it's beautiful. <laughs> so um, obviously you're really passionate about Scotland. The fact that you've made it your home and you've written um, a whole... Because your entire blog is about Scotland, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I have a few posts about other destinations from the beginning, but I'm really focusing on Scotland now, yeah. So does it feel like your real home, like that's home now or Austria's home? Or you've got two homes. How does it feel? Um, I do feel like this is my home. Glasgow is definitely my home. And I feel whenever I'm on a plane, whether that's coming back from Vienna or back from a holiday somewhere other abroad, I feel like I'm going home and I can hear this Glaswegian accent on, at, the, at the gate at the airport and I start feeling happy and excited about going back. So it definitely is my home. But I will never feel like I'm Scottish or I'm not Austrian anymore because that's just where I'm from and that's yeah all the knowledge that I have in my mind and all the cultural knowledge that I have is Austrian so there's always going to be those two sides to where I feel at home and where I feel I belong yeah 
I've never actually stayed anywhere abroad, like long enough to call it home, but I've moved around England quite a bit. Mm. Um, but I've always like found it quite difficult to settle in somewhere new. And I've, so I've lived in like Sheffield and Manchester and I never really thought that they were home. I guess I made it work with London, but now I live in Portsmouth and I really like it here, but I don't know. I wondered if you had any tips for how mm. to, I guess, how to assimilate really into a place and make <laughs> it feel like your actual home. I don't know if I've assimilated, to be honest, <laughs> apart from the accent, which is a bit muddled and weird. Um, well, I have to be honest, I think for me it helped a lot coming here as a student because it gave me an immediate community around me with people who were interested in the same things because they studied right. the same course or because we were pals through a university society and had shared interests. So I think I've had... A very special experience because I came here as a student and that just made a lot of things easier right. however as a student at the University of Glasgow you kind of like you call it the kind of the West End bubble that's the part of the city where the university is the West End and as a student you don't really get out of that too much because everything you need is there right sometimes okay. you go to the city center for restaurants or shops or, or clubs or something but the majority of my life in that first year when I was a when I was doing my master's was in the West End and getting out of that was a bit tricky but because I had friends and established friendships with people who also stayed in Glasgow after uni mm. um, moving away from the West End and moving out to another part of the city and exploring a bit further just became easier because I had someone to share it with so I don't yeah, know, if, I don't know like if, if everybody has an experience like that because I can absolutely relate that it's hard to find a routine and and just create a circle of friends around you I've struggled mm -hmm. with that when I moved to Berlin um which was before moving to Glasgow even though I had some friends there but it was it just never felt like home and I yeah. don't know whether that's just because I came here as a student yeah yeah I guess it's just putting the time in and finding your people finding your community to feel Absolutely. and I do think that you know being active online and and being active with my blog and sharing these things has helped because I've met quite a few of my best friends here in Glasgow through that oh that's cool so whether they're you know other bloggers who are also based in Glasgow or, or other places in Scotland or just it sounds weird but like readers or followers you know who who I just connected with because they're interested in the same things yeah um, it's really nice to to be so open outdoor um, online so that people can actually find you and you can find them. That yeah. I think that helped. Yeah, that's nice. Um, so your homeland is Vienna. Your adopted land is Scotland. Where do you go on holiday? <laughs> um, well, this year I'm planning a trip to Norway to go hiking, oh, which nice. I'm very excited about. So it's usually places where I can go outdoors as well. Um, usually colder places right so northern places um but this year I'm also planning a trip to Ghana which is none of these <laughs> wow um to visit some family there so yeah I'll just go wherever whatever comes up I'm not really one to make concrete plans I have a lot of bucket list destinations in my head right which are spread out all over the world but then it kind of comes up to chance what happens and and what actually becomes realistic within a year but also a lot in Scotland I, yeah. I do a lot on holidays here well, that's cool because um 
you have spent quite a lot of time in Iceland, haven't you? What was that like? Yeah, um, I did my <coughs> semester abroad in Iceland when I studied for my BA back home in, in Vienna. Um, so I spent five months there. Oh, wow, living. that's so cool. Yeah, it was brilliant. I, was, I lived in Reykjavik and I studied at the university there. It was January to May. So when I arrived, there was literally no daylight. You know, it was dark at three o'clock and the sun wouldn't rise until 11 and it was a bit depressing but then yeah. as the light became you know as the days became longer it just turned into this ex- really exciting experience um and I've been back since once in the winter and I could see the difference because the first time I went was 2010 so that was before after the crisis so it was affordable ish but right. before the real big tourist boom started so it was very different then. And then when I returned in 2015, it was completely changed. Yeah, that must have been such a lovely time to go in 2010. Now it just sounds like the main routes are just totally overrun with tourists, which I guess isn't good for people who want to be in the outdoors, hiking, feeling like mm. they're the only ones. The good thing is, because it's the main, as you see, it's the main routes. I think the south of Iceland in the summer or even in the in the winter when it's about northern lights tourism is probably not going to be as enjoyable but there's so many parts of Iceland I think where people don't go and they're great for outdoorsy people and for hiking and for adventures right I'm not going to name them now because I <laughs> cannot go <laughs> you know but you just a little bit of research and you'll find out what I'm talking about but I do think that because people are so interested in always seeing the same things and that's similar in Scotland actually um if you do your research you'll find the places that are more off the beaten track and still relatively untouched yeah because the um the isle of sky is getting yeah. overrun isn't it so that's how i've read yeah absolutely i mean i've been to sky three times now and I, the last time i went was in november there and november is an overrun and we had a weekend of sunshine and it was brilliant and i would definitely recommend everybody going if they go off season and if they have at least two nights to spend on the island but the amount of people who want to do day trips there in June or wonder why they can't book accommodation there now for a weekend in May it's just puzzling like mind-boggling how people think that it's still so undiscovered and and off the beaten track because it's probably the most beaten track destination Yeah, I went um I went for New Year's. So I was there New Year's Day a few years mm. and I don't think we saw anyone actually. I don't think anyone was there apart from our little tour group. Yeah. I think it, and you know, the winter light in Scotland, if you get a sunny day, it's just the most beautiful and super great for photography. But even if you don't get sunshine but it's moody, that's just Scotland and I think the the highlands and the mountains just look even better almost when the skies are a bit grey and cloudy and a bit rainy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, So one of the big things that I wanted to talk to you about was hiking, because I think I know a lot of women that travel and travel solo, but I really don't think I know anybody else that um, like hikes and camps solo, because you did the Hebridean Way, right? Was that two weeks? Yeah, exactly. I did the Hebridean Way last July um, in two weeks. Yeah, so I hiked for 12 days and I spent two days in addition on the islands by myself as well right and it's 150 miles exactly I think it's 155 155 (laughs) miles oh my god um so yeah I hike between I want to say somewhere between 9 and 15 miles a day with your backpack and your tent and my tent yes 
Um, so that's a heavy backpack. It's a big backpack. It's like 65 liters plus 10 extension, um, which some people might find over the top, but to be honest, I don't. <laughs> I was carrying a lot of stuff, but I felt like I've minimized as much as I could and still filled the backpack. So yeah, yeah. it was I tough, but it was yeah, great. I can't imagine going that far with that on my back I hate when I've got a backpack on I hate mm. even just like queuing at the airport with the backpack on <laughs> I think um, you get used to it no, so quickly it. and right. and I also think so when I did when on my first solo trip seven years ago to Canada I had a backpack like that and I filled it with so much crap I was carrying I, I was I'm sure that it was much heavier than anything I carry now when I camp because right. it's still less than 20 kilo it's okay. not like you you carry 60 kilo on your back or anything um it's just some of the things are bulky like your sleeping bag and your tent um unless you want to invest a lot of money into really tiny lightweight equipment which i just yeah and then it starts getting expensive right exactly but with like relatively affordable equipment that is also relatively lightweight it's still bulky enough to fill a backpack but you get used to it your back hurts the first four days and then you kind of just it's just there and also if you get a good backpack you carry all the weight on your hips you don't have it on your shoulders so and it moves with your movement so it's almost like you're not carrying it almost almost right yeah. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I, I that, but it's an interesting, yeah, interesting theory um so you've written a whole blog post on your blog watchmesee.com about how traveling solo is a feminist act for you. I mean, I totally agree, but can you explain a bit more about what you mean by that? Mm. Well, as you know, the article was inspired by you and, and your your article about why you think solo travel is a feminist act for you. And, and it was, reading that article really made me, it inspired me to put all the thoughts I had kind of loosely in my mind into words. Right. And it comes down to a lot of things. It comes down to being annoyed by all the questions that you get and it's always the same it's, is it safe what do your parents think what does your boyfriend think aren't you scared are you not gonna get bored as if like a 30 year old woman can't hike on her own and yeah. spend time by herself like as if I was that boring that <laughs> I couldn't enjoy spending time with myself and as if I needed my parents you know permission or my boyfriend's permission or anything like that it's 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 those questions that really eat away at you and they're there all the time yeah and, and it's also those questions that a man yeah. wouldn't get exactly I don't think a man would ever get these questions whether he's going for a hike over the weekend or travels the world or does something completely mad I don't know jump out of the plane or something um a man would never get those questions, but I do, and I get them every time I go hiking, and it's by people who don't know me, and, and I feel like if you knew me, you would never ask me these questions, because you know how annoyed I am at them, and yeah. how ridiculous they are. So it, that's, that was really a, a big thing for me about hiking as a woman, to, to show people that they should just keep quiet and not ask these silly questions. But then it's also just about trusting yourself, about learning how strong you actually are and that even if you have like a bit of belly fat doesn't matter because your body can carry you so far that who cares you know you can do all these amazing things without looking like a I don't know a, a supermodel 
Um, yeah, yeah. Without and worrying that's about what you look like. Much more important than anything what people think about you. Yeah. Um, having those experiences and 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 being allowed to be so proud of yourself, it really gives you a lot of confidence and it, it just empowers me. And I find that that is something I hope everybody should experience, whether it's through hiking or some other activity. Mm. So you say, you say in that post about how there is more men on the trails. Why mm. do you think that women aren't doing it? I mean, I think there are a lot of women who do it and they're, they're just, there are just less. Yeah. And I do think it comes down to being intimidated, not seeing the role models and not having the role models to follow in their steps. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, Wild stands out as a film about, or a book and a film about a woman who goes out and hikes a big, big long distance trail, but there's not many other mainstream images like that that I can think of yeah that's the only that's the only one I can think of and I've only watched the film I haven't read the book but the film did kind of wasn't there was a big scene wasn't there where the there was two men that she came across in the field and they were Mm. being gross and I can't remember how she how did she get away from them or what did she do I can't remember now um I actually can't I think she packed up her tent and just walked on and just went to just get away them. from them, I think. Yeah. But I, I actually can't remember now. But yeah, it's the fact that, you know, the only film you and I can think of um, on that kind of level of publicity and, and mainstream image, you still get a scene in which these fears are kind of, um, you know, um, oh, what's the word? You know, where these fears are shown to be true. Yeah, or, and that's, that's kind of the only, um, that's actually the only scene that I can really remember from that film, which is really sad. But maybe that's yeah. just the thing that's stuck with me and, like, I don't know, scared me a bit. I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. want to be and I want to, like, do these things. But I have never camped. I've camped solo at festivals, but I've never camped solo, like, on a trail. I've been hiking <laughs> by myself. But I don't know, I feel like stay when you're hiking, staying safe from, like, the elements is knowledge and you've got a bit of control over that. But then staying safe from people, it comes down to luck and you don't know who you're going to meet. And like the chance that you're going to meet a weirdo is so low. But That's true. But it it does come down to chance. So why not give it a go? Yeah, good answer. It's it's just like when you go out traveling solo. Yeah, things could happen. But think about all the benefits you get from it. And what are the chances of you having an amazing, empowering experience and what are the chances of you running into a psycho who wants to harm you? Yeah, so true. And when you when you weigh those two up, I think you can gain so much from doing it and trying it and having these experiences that I feel like that to me is bigger than this, the fear of the risk. And it's, it's a shame because I think a lot of people don't agree with that and, and would probably still feel that the risk outweighs the possible benefits. But again, it's also like, it's not our fault. If I go out and someone harms me, it's not my fault. Because the guy next to me was, or, you know, the guy that camped there the night before was probably on his own as well, and nothing happened to him. But this, you know, it's not my fault if something happens to to me. It's the person's fault who did it. Yeah. I guess it comes down to as well, like, you could go for a night out in Glasgow and meet a weirdo. You just never know where these weirdos are. I mean, the majority of women who are either you know who face violence 
it's from partners it's from family members it's from people they know and usually yeah. their own home like statistically it's more dangerous to live with your partner than it is to go out hiking by yourself but no one would ever say oh that. no I'm not going to live with my partner anymore you know it's it's realistically no one will say that but mm. everyone will tell you that hiking on your own and camping on your own is dangerous and it, to me it doesn't make sense yeah that's such an interesting point because it is isn't it more likely to be harmed by your partner than the Hebrides yeah. absolutely yeah um so all your knowledge about hiking have you gained that from hiking or do you read books or how do you know things <laughs> or do you just um, get up and walk I think a lot of it does come from hiking a lot as a child with my parents so just gaining that confidence and being on the trail and so the, the the walking part itself to me is not a novelty kind of experience right um then I was part of the mountaineering society at Glasgow Uni so I had a lot of friends who went hiking and climbing outdoors and then you hike together and they would kind of show you or teach you so I think hiking with others slightly more experienced hikers can give you a lot of confidence I think if they're too experienced it can almost scare you off because right. you start comparing yourself to a level of experience that takes a while to achieve but if it's someone who's just a little bit better than you or more experienced than you rather than better then I think you can learn a lot and you can learn a lot from each other as well yeah um, one of my, I was gonna say one of my friends went to join a walking hiking society thing um she's from London and she said that when they all met up, everyone was just talking about all these big hikes that they'd done. And it was like, it was kind of like a currency, like, which, which hike have you done? What have you done? And then it all yeah. became, she felt like it became competitive, but it might've just been because she hadn't done any. But, yeah. um, I think that is a very valid point. And I, I, I see that with friends of mine who are, you know, who would like to start hiking, but they're intimidated by it because yeah. they would start comparing themselves with me. And I've just done a big hiking, a big solo hike in the summer. So it's, it's, and then I start comparing myself to people who hike thousand kilometers or, or go hiking for six months. And it's just not, that's not the point. Um, it's really just about finding someone who you aspire to, but also finding someone who can teach you just what is the next step and what, what are the next skills you need. And then, yeah, last, I guess that's, some, yeah, go on, go on. Go on. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say uh, an, another way of learning and something that I like doing is, is courses. So I went on a navigation course last November, which was a, um, a training day just for women. And you learned how to read maps and how to navigate in the, in the mountains with a compass and things like that. So there's some things you I can't learn from reading, even though there's thousands of guidebooks about navigating and using a compass but I need to try and have someone show me and then try again and try again and try again so that also really helps I guess courses like that are good because you meet obviously you meet like-minded people and get yeah inspired. absolutely and like actually the women who run the course that I did are also the ones who are partnering with me on the hiking retreat so um yeah it's great to build networks like that. And there's lots of women who do these courses and they say, they said, the ones in my course said, well, we like to go outside, but we don't want to ask these questions because they feel like people might be condescending towards them. And right. I see that happening in Facebook groups about hiking all the time is people being condescending about someone with less experience. And it's really shameful. Yeah, that's, that's not cool. <laughs> Everyone's just trying to do their thing. Um, so tell us more about your hiking retreats. Yeah, um, so 
um, planning a hiking retreat at the end of May, early June. So it's the 31st of May to the 2nd of June. And we're going out to Glencoe in the middle of the central Scottish Highlands, which is this iconic place that a lot of people just drive through on their way to Sky, which is a shame because it's beautiful from the roadside, but it's even more beautiful if you actually go hiking there. Right. And so it's a women-only hiking retreat for two nights and we'll do two guided hikes on the Saturday and on the Sunday in the mountains around Glencoe. Oh, so that's a perfect opportunity then for anyone who wants to hike but is yeah, intimidated or a little bit scared or nervous of their skills. Then you exactly. can do it in a like-minded exactly. fun group. And the idea is that obviously people have different levels of experiences and there will be a spread of people in this group as well. And we have two guides with us who will be able to choose a hike that suits everyone. So it will be challenging for those who might be a bit more experienced, but also challenging for those, but not too hard for those who are not so experienced. And it's really about sharing and learning from each other, setting goals for the hike, learning how to prepare, you know, what to bring for a day hike and things like that. So it's very beginner friendly um, and a learning experience. It's not just about physical activity. It's about trying something new and, and doing it together. Yeah, that sounds good. The last time I went hiking, I was in um, Nepal a few weeks ago cool. and I was traveling by myself and I obviously there's loads of long hikes there but I only had a week in the country <clears throat> so I didn't have time so I went off on a day hike and I was like yeah I'll be fine I'll be fine by myself and then within within about an hour I realized that I totally got lost because I think with hiking I might be a little bit overconfident and <laughs> have absolutely no idea about navigational skills mm. and then I sort of looked around and it's because I'd seen cool things so I was like oh I'm gonna go over there oh I'm gonna go over there oh I'm gonna do that and I didn't like map where I was going or realize where I was going but then it was quite weird because I got a, a little bit ex excited that I was lost I was thinking of all these stories like 127 hours and all this and then about it was probably about 15 minutes later I was actually like really panicked that I was lost because yeah. I was stupid and I'd gone out nobody knew where I was I had a phone that didn't work I had a water supply but I didn't have like I didn't have anything else and it's a really stupid thing to do but I thought I don't know I thought I would be okay so I think for someone that likes to I guess I travel a lot solo and I like to hike so it would be good to go on your course or do something like your retreat just to get a few basic skills to give me the confidence that if that ever happened again I mean I found my way back it was wasn't too much drama but there was a few minutes where I was really scared but if I'd have had the skills from your course or even as you say like the packing list for the day mm. just a bit more knowledge then I might not have even got lost or you're just more confident at getting out of difficult situations yeah the thing is I mean you mentioned a lot of things where which to me would be red flags and I'd be oh god please don't go out into the mountains <laughs> but on the other hand you also said you travel a lot solo so you have a confidence in yourself and sometimes it is about confidence it's about not panicking and it's yeah. about staying calm and looking around for solutions and then you actually can get, get yourself out of tricky situations like yeah I was so start. happy and proud of myself when yeah. I got out I was like, <laughs> so I mean yeah prepare better next time but still you you have a, a, a confidence level that a lot of people don't even have so they wouldn't even try and go out by themselves um, yeah, and sad isn't it because obviously yeah. like, hiking is really beautiful and a really good chance for us to get away from city jobs or desk jobs or just to get out there and absolutely and like it doesn't always have to be a crazy adventure. It doesn't always have to be a mountaintop. 
it yeah. could, like last Saturday I walked from Glasgow to Mogawi which is one of like the suburbs and it's where the West Highland Way starts it's like a 15 mile walk maybe right maybe a bit less and it's mostly flat it's not the most scenic walk but it's it's scenic enough so you you actually enjoy it and you get some outdoor activity in and you get some time outdoors in nature and you get to walk you get to feel the ground under your feet and all these things it's just nice to even use these small opportunities to do something it doesn't always have to be this crazy adventure yeah and the good thing about day hikes and smaller adventures is that they're totally free you can just put your shoes on and get out there and you don't have to spend loads of money and all these I guess like current trends I guess like mindfulness and what's another one I heard of recently lag arm and mm. these things um you can do all that when you're on the trail like if you're away from technology if you're by yourself or with your if, or if you're with friends and you can chat and you're not it's something different from sitting in a bar and drinking which is what how a lot of people socialize isn't it Including yeah absolutely that. Well, I mean, I, I do that sometimes as well, but yeah. um, it, it's good to to do something different every now and then as well. Um, but yeah, you raise budget. I mean, the two weeks I spent in the Outer Hebrides were definitely the cheapest way to see 10 islands in two weeks, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't think it will get any cheaper than carrying your own house on your back and eating sandwiches from the same from the co-op (laughs) 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 or making your own dinners on a camping stove so it's not just scenic and good for your confidence and good for your mind and good for your body it's also just really good for your wallet yeah just being self-sufficient like that is really cool Mm, carrying everything that you need and it's just uh it makes it also makes you realize how little you really need right you know, in your daily lives in the city, I'm like, oh, I need speedy Wi-Fi and I, I need this and I need that. But actually, you don't need any of that. You just need water, food and a roof over your head. And that's it. So how did, let's say, the long hike you did, 155 miles, if you can remember, how did you feel at the start, like mentally and physically? And how did you feel at the end? Mm. I think at the start, I was so... The morning of the first day, I was really excited. I was pumped. I was like, yeah, you can do it. Halfway through, I almost got lost on a mountain halfway through that first day. So I panicked and, you know, I was tired. It was raining. And I thought, what the hell have you gotten yourself into here? Why are you doing this? So there was a lot of up and down in the beginning, a lot of excitement, but also a lot of doubt and fear and being tired and feeling pain and, and all these things and just wondering why I was doing it. And then by the end of it, I was still very tired. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually cried on my last day because it was mentally a really hard day because you're so close to the end. Yeah. You're just not there yet. So it's a re- I think the best time mentally is in the middle. <laughs> right. To be okay. honest. But that last day on the trail, that last night I camped, I just felt amazing being able to say, I've just walked all this and I've just done this and I managed to do it all by myself. Screw all you who were doubting my abilities. (laughs) You know, I did it. It was just then the last 15 miles were a bit hard, but (laughs) yeah. So um, was there anything that got you through mentally? Like... 
I don't know, picture in the end or I don't know. I just I just imagine two week two weeks in my head. I would have to have some visual that I was heading towards or doing. Or you no. just enjoying the walk, I guess. I mean, a lot of it was about being able to say I've done this whole walk. So there were several points on the Hebridean Way where I was so close to just hitchhiking. And I actually did hitchhike once because it was raining and I was walking on a narrow road because there is quite a bit of road walking, which is not very nice when there's traffic and it's a single track road and you have to get out of the way all the time. So I did actually hitchhike once for about three miles. That felt good. But for the rest of the time, I just told myself, you know, you could hitchhike, you could take the bus, or you could walk it all and be able to say you've walked it all. So it was it was the sense of achievement that I, that really helped me through. And then the other thing, and that was something that helped a lot with where people thought, oh, are you going to get lonely or bored? Was listening to podcasts, actually. I'm particularly listening to podcasts about women who do adventures, women who travel, women who go road tripping and tell their stories. And sometimes these stories would be really inspiring. And other times the stories would be about something where situations went really wrong and I could feel like, oh, I'm actually not that bad off. So, you know, this is going well. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. One of the biggest uh, physical challenges I've done, obviously I haven't walked as far as you, but I um, cycled from... Ho Chi Minh City no Hanoi to Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam mm-hmm. and I'd like I did it in a group I'd signed up to do it and thought it would all be good fun and then when I got there I was like why why have I done this what am I doing <laughs> and then first day I I think we only did like a fun cycle so it was like 10 10 miles or something not something not very much and I was like oh my god this is actually going to kill me I hadn't done any training or anything like that and it is, <laughs> it is amazing how quickly your body can adapt mm-hmm. and so by <clears throat> I think we did it in 11 days maybe but even within a few days I was having a great time and I loved it and then by the end on the last day like I didn't want to finish cycling and we did the we were doing I'm sure we were doing 55 55 kilometers I think I've got a blog post about it anyway but um I think we were doing 55 kilometers a day and yeah by the end I just didn't want to stop cycling and we were doing it so fast and yeah it just amazed me how physically and mentally I got used to it and there was one big hill massive hill mountain where we went up the high van pass and I really didn't think I'd get up there and then the amazing sense of accomplishment that you get when you do it and when you do something that you maybe doubted a little bit that you would ever get to the end of is just incredible and so that's kind of what I was thinking about when you were talking about yeah walking for two weeks with Mm. all your stuff on your back coping with the Scottish weather yeah it's it's kind of like a high you never want to end yeah because you every day you set yourself a goal which is you know where you want to reach and you, then you reach it and you're like, yeah, I can do this. And then, yeah, I mean, at the end of the walk, if there was an opportunity to walk further on the on the Outer Hebrides, I would have just gone on yeah. um, because it was just such a great feeling. And I love the simplicity of it. You know, you wake up, you make your breakfast, you pack up, you start walking. And then your routine just becomes the same every day. And still yeah. it doesn't get boring. Yeah. And it's 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 a beautiful feeling. And yeah, I do look forward to going hiking again and, you know, getting back into that mindset and then to that simplicity of, of the way your days looked like. Mm-hmm. 
So what did you um, eat on the trail to stay energized? I know you're hmm. a vegan, so how did that work out? Yeah, so as a vegan, I'm, I'm, I'm always a bit worried about my food supplies, especially when it's about traveling to the remoter areas of, this, of, of Scotland. Um, it get, it's getting easier all over the country, but I am aware that, you know, in, in smaller places that are more dependent on local produce and the Edra Hebrides are and a lot of the local produce is animal products. Um, I kind of was a bit worried about what I would need to bring and what I would be able to stock up in supermarkets and things like that. Um, but so some of the things I ate was Trek bars, which are amazing protein oat bars covered in chocolate and coconut. So I had oh. loads of those and they're available in all the co-op shops and supermarkets and the Hebrides. So they really helped. Um, nuts always help unless you're obviously allergic to them. Then I, I don't know how vegans do who are allergic to nuts. I, I, yeah, that's hard. That must be really hard. But so yeah, things like that. So just like lots and lots of snacks, um, uh, fatty things like avocados and and or chickpeas or beans. Um, it, sounds, it sounds like a whole healthy adventure, walking every day, eating... Uh, apart from all the chocolate, I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess you can eat as much chocolate as you want. Yeah. Yes, right. And then I think the two things that really kept me walking was like, on the one hand, wherever you came, you could have chips. So having, having a, a hot bowl of chips would always be a really nice reward at the end of the day. And the other thing was uh, beans on toast. So... Love beans on toast. Walking past any cafe on the Hebrides, I would walk in and, and get some beans on toast because I knew it was going to be the only warm thing they could serve me, but it was going to be the best thing ever. So <laughs> that was a that was a really good treat for myself as well. Several times on the trail. Yeah, you definitely deserve that. Oh yeah, and you you know you eat a lot on these trails. I eat a lot when I'm hiking, and I don't feel like that there's any shame in that. Because your body needs it. So, yeah. yeah, have that more. Have one more chocolate bar and it's fine. <laughs> so where would be your dream place to hike? If you could go anywhere by yourself. Oh, it would be South America. It would absolutely be... Oh, Patagonia. Patagonia, absolutely. It would yeah. be Patagonia, but also the Andes in, in Peru. Um, all over the continent, really. I would love to do a big hiking holiday around South America. Right. But there's no time for that with all your film festivals and PhDs and well not this year I think 2020 might be a good year to look at for a potential South America return I've been to Brazil and Ecuador before um but on neither of these trips I was particularly doing any hiking or or outdoor adventures apart from the rainforests which is also great but um yeah, I think 2020 might be the year where I finally go back. But whether it's going to be Peru or Patagonia, I don't know yet. Difficult, difficult choice to do yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe both. <laughs> so with your two passions, so well, you have a few passions, don't you? So there's travel, hiking, Scotland, film, mm. photography. You're into mm. photography as well, aren't you? Yeah, you've got amazing photos on your blog. Oh, thank you very much. There's no films that would connect travel, um, feminism and travel, right? And hiking. Well, I mean, there's quite a few documentaries I think you could look at, um, particularly things about women who just take on these challenges that are not usually associated with women traveling. So there's, for example, there's a documentary, I would, look, I would have to look up all the titles, but there's a recent documentary called Maiden, 
which is about an all-women sailing team that took on a sailing race in the 90s as the first all-female team ever. Um, and they've just recently released that, so they, they went back and interviewed all the women now and, and talked about the impact that that experience had on them. There's also a documentary about that Dutch or Belgian girl who sailed around the world by herself as the youngest okay. person ever. Wow. Um, there's a documentary about a Swedish woman, I think, who ran across Iran, dragging behind her like a little wagon with her all her fire supplies but she's like this famous ultra runner or something and so she just jogged around Iran and I thought that's pretty cool yeah I, I love hearing about that film is called. so there's films like that um and I think there's a lot more coming and and the, in recent years I've heard a lot more about these kinds of films but they're all quite you know unless you know about them and you already follow certain people you will not find out about them like they're not wild that will be in your mainstream cinema around the corner which is a shame because these films all sound amazing um but yeah there's a few i guess they just don't get the push that other films would get and i guess it is only the big blockbusters that get the push anyway isn't it you've got to really look for them and find them yeah i mean again it's like it's documentaries just don't get the same kind of publicity and, and marketing budgets that big mainstream productions will get so if you want to find out more about films like that, you just kind of need to look for them a bit more. Yeah. Can you write a blog post about them? <laughs> <laughs> I can try. <laughs> I'd like you to do the work and find them all. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, you've totally inspired me. I need to go out. Like I live right by the South Downs and I still haven't hiked there. And... Oh, get your ass out there. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go and do it this summer and yeah maybe I'll just maybe I'll just do it by myself and then you don't have to wait for other people do you or exactly and you don't have to feel bad if you're a bit slower and you can just stop and you don't have to pretend you're stopping for a water break but actually just have your (laughs) breath all these things it's it's nice to be on your own as well because you don't owe any apologies or explanations to anyone and you can just walk at your own pace yeah and eat chips and chocolate all day that's great (laughs) I I love it um so if anyone has any questions about your uh hiking retreat or hiking where can they find you online they can find me on my blog which is watchmesee.com and they can also find me on twitter facebook instagram at watchmesee okay well thanks very much for joining me today it's been really interesting thank you very much for having me this was fun (laughs) okay have a nice day bye bye So what I'm taking from all that is that we can start small, just go out for the day and then with experience and advice we can work up to camping in the outdoors. Also we need to be our own guide but podcasts and documentaries are a good place to get that extra inspiration. So welcome to So She Travels. Anyway I hope you check out Kathy's blog and if you enjoyed this episode please do subscribe and leave me a review on iTunes. It really helps to get more people to listen. I'm off to find more inspirational female guests for next week. Make sure to let me know if this episode has got you thinking about hiking. You can get in touch with me on all the social medias at Vicky Flip Flop.